everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. It's great having you join me for another wonderful, inspiring, in-depth conversation. And that's really what the show is all about. It's having just inspiring conversations that are really um, offering us the opportunity to, set, to tap into the power that we have to heal, to transform our lives, to uh, reconnect with the true love that we are. So, um, as always, I have some wonderful guests who will be um, joining us on these shows, and today we definitely have a very special guest. If you are listening for the first time, I want to welcome you, and I also want you to uh, be able to get the archives from The Love Code as well as the other program that I do on Progressive Radio Network, which is called What Women Must Know. And if you'd like to get those archive shows, you can always opt into my website, which is drcherylselman.com, and that's Dr. with a D-R, drcherylselman.com. Or you can go to my Facebook page where I post all of these archive shows, and the best Facebook page to like is What Women Must Know, What Women Must Know. And then you can listen to all of these great shows and uh, continually be inspired, educated, uplifted, and transformed. So, we have a very special guest today. We're going to be talking to Christian Nix, and he has been, uh, for many years, blessed by working with a phenomenal healer, shaman in Guatemala. We're going to be exploring barefoot medicine and solving the riddle of chronic illness with Christian and all that he has learned over the years on his extraordinary journey. So, just a little bit about him. Not many people begin a medical career with an apprenticeship to a medicine man. But in the year 2000, that's what Christian did. And in 2005, he passed his board certification. Christian maintains his license to practice in Colorado, and he also got a postgraduate degree in East-West Medical Integration in 2008. Frustrated with the lack of innovation inside mainstream medicine, he set out to change the way medicine was taught. Teaming up with several doctors along the way, Christian created two medical education companies. He also established two hospital-based teaching clinics, one on the south side of Chicago and the other in Central America. So we have a fascinating conversation in store for all of you today, and it's my pleasure to welcome Christian Nick to the Love Code. So Christian, hello. Nice to have you here. Hi there. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. What a what a what a cool intro. I sound like a really interesting guy based on that. You definitely sound like a cool, interesting guy. We'll find out. We'll see. We'll support that premise as we carry on with our uh, conversation today. But I have to tell Goodness, everyone. Did I lose you already? Hello. In. Are you here? Yes. Hello. Excuse me. Yes. Thank Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be on with you. It's, uh, that That's quite an intro. I sound like a fairly interesting character already. <laughs> Definitely are. And, and, and particularly so because we are having this conversation with you who uh, now is deep in the jungles of Guatemala. I, 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 that's that, correct. You may not be deep in the jungles of Guatemala, but you are in Guatemala. I am in the highlands in Guatemala, where uh, on, on, the, on the lake, where I did my medical studies, where I met my mentor and spent uh, almost a full nine years. Obviously, I traveled on, on and off the lake, but I had a, a nine-year stint with, with a, just an excellent, excellent healer who was also a, a, a really killer teacher as well. 
And so, yes, I, I came back here. Obviously, it was difficult to travel during the, uh, the pandemic years. And so, uh, and so we're back enjoying uh, just the, the most wonderful trip sort of down memory lane, um, thinking and talking about what happened here for me all those years ago. And the, in, in a sense, the, it's the adventure that I'm still on. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm sure it will continue <laughs> for the rest of your life, to be honest. I dare let's say. Go back. Yep. Let's go back. Let's go back to um, the beginning of your journey, Christian. So what brought you to Guatemala in the very first place? Yeah, it's a, it, it was like so many things. I think if you, if you think back about your own life, and this applies to absolutely anybody who's listening, if you think back to all the various things that we refer to as coincidence in life that, of course, end up being uh, you know, tremendous, tremendous turning points in the fork in the road that is life, and uh, I, I was on a sailboat. Uh, I taught school in Europe for a year in 1997. Um, I taught English. And, uh, but I had met a sea captain years before, and, and we had talked about giving the globe a spin on a sailboat. And I've always been drawn to the sea. I, I love going to sea. Going to sea solves a lot of problems. Uh, and so uh, I took off on a sailboat in 1998 and, uh, after a year in Europe. And I ended up in Cuba. Um, we, we, we were in the Caribbean for some months. And I met a fella in Cuba whose name was Christian, coincidentally enough, who said, oh, if you go through Central America, you've got to check out this, this lake in the highlands in Guatemala. And I'm like, Guatemala, like, why would, who would ever go to Guatemala, right? But when I did leave the sailboat and when I left Cuba and when I got back to, to uh, Mexico and began traveling south, I was going to look for another boat in Panama um, to go to the South Seas. And uh, I, I, I stopped at this lake in Guatemala. I'll never forget it. I crossed uh, the border with Mexico and into Guatemala around midnight uh, in the back of a pickup and, uh, and my, nothing but a, a backpack, really. Um, and I traveled with a banjo at the time, hilariously enough. And, uh, and I arrived at the lake very, very early, and I took a boat across the lake to this little town that he had told me about. And I absolutely never wanted to leave. It was just a fantastic experience from the very moment I arrived. Um, it's a kind of tiny artist colony. It's a very small Pueblo of about 2,500 people. Um, maybe 200 of them are expats at any given time. Um, but a fairly interesting place to a 26-year-old uh, at the time. And um, it wasn't long after, it was probably within the first couple of months that I heard about my mentor, uh, the guy who I, I would eventually apprentice with. And, uh, and I was very drawn to healing arts. I was very drawn to learn something about ancient medicine for reasons that actually go beyond just casual interest. Um, rewinding even further, in 1995, uh, I had at least the chance for an athletic career. Um, and a bunch of guys I knew and, and played with, I was a very mediocre talent as a soccer player, but a lot of guys I played with were, were professionals and went on to play in Europe and uh, the U.S. national team and right, various places. And, and, and so... Um, I toyed with the idea of at least trying to be a professional athlete at one time. And then I had a, I had a, a big setback in the form of appendicitis. And um, I, I got very, very sick one day. Um, I, it, they, they rushed me to the hospital and figured it was appendix. And, uh, and they stabilized me. And, and the, the, the story is, and this really was the formative moment that really drove me to find out something else about medicine. And other ways of practicing medicine. Obviously, the modern medical system is a miracle of emergency care. Um, if you think of all the you know, hundreds of centuries that people died from trauma 
and that something like an appendix uh, bursting could, could obviously kill you. Um, I was stabilized at some point, you know, within a few hours after getting there, the pain went away, et cetera, et cetera. I wasn't sure what was going on, but the doctor came in and said, oh, we, we think it's the appendix. We're going to take out your appendix. Well, if you're 25 years old and you don't know better, or however old I was, 23, I guess, at the time, um, if the doctor says you need surgery, you're going to agree to surgery. It doesn't really matter what you think. You assume that the doctor has your best interest at heart. And uh, and they took my appendix out, but they had a, there's better ways to do appendix surgery, but I was in a, a really rural part of America at the time, and they cut through my abdominal wall. And if you're a soccer player and you get your abdominal muscles cut, right, you ain't going to run for quite some time. And so it was a big, big setback for me. And I suppose, too, in my subconscious, I knew I wasn't, I didn't really want to be a professional athlete anyway. The world was already too big for me. The world was already too interesting. There was too many things that I wanted to do. And if you're a top-class athlete, that's different. But I knew I wasn't going to be at that level anyway. And so uh, I suspected right away, like from the recovery room onward, that probably surgery had not been necessary. And that thought really, obviously it bothered me, but it stayed with me. Um, and I started to ask questions like, well, what exactly is appendicitis? What causes that? What, what, what is it, right? What's the pathophysiology of, of uh, an inflamed and, and irritated appendix that would cause, uh, you know, potentially re require something like surgical removal? And so uh, this was in the back of my mind, right, when I set out on the sailboat and when I set out to learn some other things and in my year in Europe as I was learning how big and grand and, and adventurous the world could be. And so when I arrived in Guatemala, I was already primed for whatever educational experience I was about to have because I had in the back of my mind, hey, wouldn't it be better to know some things about health and healing that perhaps our medical system isn't, isn't exactly up to speed on? And so with all of that as a sort of preamble, when I met my mentor and I realized that I had a chance to, to simply write, I mean, I offered to pay him, of course, for his time. He's a very, very busy guy. Uh, he was he was by far the best the best guy in town. And when I say in town, the little lake where we live has about eight or nine different towns on it. And so he would make calls to various portions of the lake and and treat people. But but I saw right away how well respected he was. He was in his late fifties at the time, so he was almost sixty. Uh, he was thirty years older than me, essentially. And uh, everybody in town really the the guy got a lot of juice for everything that he was able to do. And even as a young person in my mid to late 20s, I realized even at that time, hey, this is a great skill set for somebody like me to learn. Um, if I have an opportunity to learn from such a person, this would be a wonderful way, um, believe it or not, like looking down the road of my own life going, hey, you know, as I age, this would be something that would make me really valuable as I grew older if I learned some something about healing arts and boy oh boy I mean what 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 was in store for me I just had no way of predicting I had no way of knowing what was coming um, but that was the start of a nine-year apprenticeship um, and I'll never forget I mean I met with the guy and we had lunch and we hit it off right away we were we were fast friends uh, we, we were definitely cut from the same cloth he uh, he adventured around the world for many many years before settling on the lake and uh, he had married a local woman and had children with her, and so he had a family there. Um, but but seeing him walk down the street and, you know, the banker calls out like, hey, you know, 
Jaime, thanks for that thing you did did for my wife the other day. She feels a lot better. And, you know, this person stopped by and said, oh, you know, that thing you did for me, I'm recovering. And and just watching how many people had just tremendous, tremendous. And these were these were people who had access to to medical care. I mean, they could have gone to doctors. Probably most of them had gone to doctors, but nobody could take care of them the way that my mentor could help people heal. And uh, and so he had this. He had a, he, he had a tremendous wit. He was a real he was a real card. He was a real character. But when it came to healing, and when it came to helping people really get their health in order, um, he had a different almost persona that he would put on, where he was very very sober and very soft spoken, but very very focused on being able to to teach people. And and I think and this was the big deal that really templated my own career. Uh, most of what he knew and most of what he could teach was really about helping people heal on their own. And th- this became a theme for me very early on, that his style of medicine, if you will, not so much a style, he, 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 was, uh, he was far more eclectic than I ever became. He knew stuff from a lot of different disciplines, whereas I focused very deeply on a couple of skills and tried to get as good as I, can, uh, good as I could at, at a few different things uh, rather than, you know, having an enormous bag of tricks like my teacher had. Um, but he was, able to, he was able to get people to heal on their own. Um, and this is not to say that he, he was aware of, right? I mean, there's a time for antibiotics. There's a time for mainstream medical pharmacopoeia. There's a time for, right, damn near everything that's out there can help somebody at some point. Um, and he was a big, big believer and impressed upon me very early on, you, you, you do what works, right? And sometimes it's, you know, surgery and pills that works. But by and large, right, his entire practice was, was really aimed at helping people to figure out how they could heal on their own. And he was so good at it, right, that it, it, it struck me right away that this is absolutely an opportunity I couldn't waste. And, uh, and so that was the year 2000. And uh, eight and a half years later, I opened my own hospital clinic um, here on the lake in a, in a rural hospital in, uh, in Guatemala. And, uh, and we use that as a template to open uh, clinics and teach doctors and, and travel the world and in North America and, and, uh, and to offer education programs and, and real mentoring for doctors and self-healing kind of techniques that I had learned uh, for, well, uh, right up until 2016. What a wonderful journey you've been on. Um, I mean, I'm just curious, was your teacher Guatemalan or was he American or... Well, he was where was he from? He, he was American, and uh, he's an American. He left, I believe he's still alive, right? He's very, very old now. I, I have a friend that I just ran into in, in the town across the lake, and he tells me that, uh, you know, he ran into Jaime, and, and, and he wasn't sure they even recognized him. You know, he's, he's, he's so old at this point. Uh, he's an American. He left the United States in, I believe, the 1980s. Um, he left in, like, 1982, uh, so he hadn't been back in all that time. So by the time I met him, you know, we were – he'd been out of the U.S. He'd been out of North America for, for a good 20 years, uh, give or take, but mostly traveling in the Pacific Rim. Uh, he, he, uh, he traveled through Thai, uh, uh, Thailand, Australia. He traveled in Asia. He studied everywhere he went. He studied healing arts. And then when he arrived on the lake too, right, he really put down roots here. And so he studied some of the local indigenous stuff here as well. Um, he had some medical training. Uh, he had some kind of uh, – I know he had, he had been to chiropractic college. He was a guy who would just pick up skills wherever he went. And so 
if you came across something in, in healing arts, especially very, very old healing arts, you could be sure that he had, he had probably taught a course on it at some point in his career, but he certainly had some kind of opinion or something intelligent that would save you a lot of time and effort from trying to figure out things on your own. What a destiny, Kristen. What a destiny to um, have uh, have arrived on this on this you know small little pueblo on the you know in the highlands of Guatemala and meeting this extraordinary man. And not just was, meeting this extraordinary man, but actually he became your teacher. Yeah, it was. It, I w- listen. Uh, <laughs> You know, I was aware at the time that I was having a really, really tremendous experience. And it is funny that I've, I've talked to and, and, and uh, been back in touch with, uh, you know, friends and, and folks from university and high school and, you know, the previous epoch of my life. And um, it's actually very hard to communicate what it is that I did. I mean, I, there's plenty of Americans probably can't find Guatemala on a map. Um, but that I got stuck at this lake. For all those years, and I built a house up here in the in the Highlands, and that I had this this incredible learning experience with this guy, year in and year out, and and that it really it was a springboard to, uh, you know, I even I even went back to academia. I mean, if if you knew me in university, I would have been voted the least likely to go and do a graduate degree, but but it made sense to me after the you know I was five and a half years into my apprenticeship, and I realized no, probably it's it's a good idea to bite the bullet. So I did spend uh, three years in a graduate program in, in uh, San Francisco uh, studying how ancient and modern medical systems would fit together. And uh, I, I think probably that decision to go back to academia to add to, you understand, Cheryl, I didn't want to be just a clinician and I didn't want to be just a guy who had learned a couple of, you know, a bag of tricks, you know, from a from a uh, an, an old time healer in the forest in Guatemala. I wanted to be well, well rounded. I wanted to be, you know, able to to talk to doctors. I wanted to be able to communicate and uh, and 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 provide real value, right, to administrators. I wanted I wanted clinical chops. I wanted the ability to present and talk about these things intelligently, which which is really what the graduate degree was about. I sat and I read and I studied until I didn't find any new ideas at all, until I had a really good grasp um, of integration. And maybe it's worth it you know, to share with your listeners. Integration is, is a term that's thrown around a lot, but my definition is very, very particular and very specific. Um, the typical definition, and this was true in 2005 when I arrived in San Francisco and started studying what other people were doing in quote, quote, integrative medicine. Um, and it's still true today, right? As far as I can see, um, nothing has really changed on this front. Integration is, is talked about as if putting practitioners of all different modalities under one roof is somehow a good idea. And, of course, it's not only not a good idea. In fact, it's very counterproductive, that kind of eclecticism and that, that what, what, what it what it attracts in terms of practitioners very often are dilettantes, right, who know a little bit about a lot of things, um, but also, right, for, again, in professional medicine, it, what matters, of course, is the results we're getting for patients. And I saw right away, and not just in San Francisco, I had seen this elsewhere, that a concept of integration where you've got a chiropractor and you got a, right, you got the, the, the requisite, uh, maybe you have an acupuncturist, and, uh, you got a, a, a quote-unquote integrative MD, 
and you got a, uh, you know, all the way down to the Reiki practitioner and all the rest. God bless all these people, right, for, for whatever skills they bring, because all that stuff has its place. There's no question. But that integration to me was something that was, I think, deeper, but also very, very, very well-defined, very specific. And the specific definition is this. Modern medicine, of course, is a brilliant emergency medical system. A lot of people give it very, very short shrift because, well, the shortcomings, uh, uh, the shortcomings of modern medicine are obvious to all of us, right? But you have to remember that you know, if you're banged up or shot or, you know, like if, if you're in real emergency kind of situation, um, there's never been a system that does what modern emergency room kind of care can do. And, and that's tremendous. And we should all applaud standing on our feet. But uh, ancient medical systems uh, are very, very well suited to chronic conditions. And specifically, the system out of Asia, most of this comes from China, although this is true of, of, of medical systems from Japan and Korea as well, um, rely on the system developed by the Chinese called pattern discrimination. Pattern discrimination means, right, the central sort of axiom of, of pattern discrimination is if two people have the same disease, they can get different treatments because their patterns may be different. In other words, in pattern discrimination, you treat the patient's patterns. If two people have IBS, they could still have very different patterns of IBS. And in pattern discrimination, we want to treat the patterns of IBS, not the disease called IBS, right? So in Western medicine, you might go to an emergency kind of uh, modern medical doctor and get, you know, steroids for anti-inflammatories and maybe an anti-spasmodic or an anti-diarrheal or whatever they give people for, for, uh, for IBS these days. In, in the ancient medical system that is so valuable to, to people today, because, of course, I don't know about you, but I'm not using the emergency room every day. It's people who have chronic disease that really need care. It's people with chronic conditions who are really suffering. And that requires a different approach, and the, pattern, the system of pattern discrimination is so valuable because it takes into account all the different multitudinous factors that, that constitute chronic conditions. And this is a completely – this is such a departure from the, the modern Western, hey, let's treat the disease. Like, no, 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 let's treat the individual patterns that an individual patient has for their individual, you know, in this case, IBS in our example – and that's a very, very different approach than anything we have in modern medicine, and almost nobody gets it. And so integration is, in my world, right, and it was this from the beginning, um, the ability to understand, first of all, it, it, anybody can recognize an emergency situation. It's not hard to recognize when somebody needs the emergency room. And also, right, obviously modern medicine is good if you're not actually bleeding to death. It can be good for other things. But there are acute things. There are things that have come on suddenly or that are potentially life-threatening, like cancers and things like this, um, it can be useful for that, right? But uh, I, I know you agree with me, doctor, when I say much better not to get cancer, right? Much better to, to sort of nip this stuff in the bud before it comes on, and that requires a deep understanding of patterns. And, and the patterns that come to us from ancient medicine are extremely well-established. I mean, we're talking about the highest level of very, very smart intelligentsia in usually Asian countries. And the reason you end up studying Asian medicine if you're in, into uh, healing chronic conditions is because the Asian medical systems have the oldest literate tradition. I mean, I live in Guatemala. I was in Guatemala all this time that I was studying this. 
well, there's no books by Maya healers, right, in Guatemala, right? All those people got killed when the Spanish came through, and probably it was in more of an oral tradition anyway. Although I did have a, a kind of interesting overlap. I, I started to see in the ancient kind of healing techniques that exist here in Central America that there was a lot of overlap to what the, the Asians also discovered and, and thought, hey, you know, you can treat a frontal headache this way. And it's like, wow, how did, how, did, how did people in China figure that out? And people in Guatemala came to the exact same conclusion. That's really remarkable, right? It says something about the, the, uh, the, the, the consistency and, and the, I mean, you can recognize a human being wherever you see one. And so, you know, somebody in Guatemala who's going to benefit from the very same treatment that somebody 13,000 miles away by land, right, in Asia is going to benefit from is a remarkable overlap, right? It really struck me that that was a, a very worth noticing. And so anyway, the, the pattern discrimination thing was big. Like I really realized that it was super it, – it was a really significant thing to realize that nobody else was really talking about this outside maybe uh, – I could have counted the people who cared about pattern discrimination on one hand um, by the time I went to, to San Francisco. And so uh, – and, and unfortunately, my time in San Francisco um, – Remember, I mean, this is 2005. This is this is long before I think a lot of people uh, in recent years, especially, have become very aware of how corrupt the the universities and the institutions have become with their political agenda and their political correctness and the whole Marxist agenda that is so corrosive to the university environment. But unfortunately, right, the program that I was in in San Francisco was run by some some kind of lightweight. I don't. I can't really call them intellectuals. They were just lightweights, right? They weren't. They weren't really. They, they didn't really know very much outside their own disciplines. And coming in, having learned what I learned for five years in the forest in Central America, um, everything was about social justice. Everything was about how bad white men are. Right? Everything was about that. Like even then, even in 2005. And so, um, and so. In a sense, it was actually good for me to encounter that because it, it very much focused me on what I was there to learn, and I didn't get a lot from the professors or from the program itself, but I did have, you know, I, I had this, this period that I carved out uh, where I read to, to absolute saturation on the topic of East-West integration, and uh, it, 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 it's a story with a happy ending. I mean, by the end, actually, I did have to, this is a hilarious kind of side note, and it's neither here nor there, but... Um, I was put on probation for being a bad boy, I guess, for, for causing too many problems to the institution because of the, the very important – because of what I saw as the very important topic I was there to study and that they would not – right? They, their whole thing was they were beating me over the head about this social justice routine. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's all good, like social justice. Like we're, we're all in favor of that too, but there's this other thing where a lot of people with chronic conditions would really benefit from this. And anyway, I had to hire a lawyer. Uh, he wrote a nasty note. We went to arbitration, and all the professors who were who were causing problems got fired, which is a great ending to a story like that. All of them got kicked out. Um, the people they put in were no better, but it didn't matter. I was allowed to graduate, and I sort of went went about my business. And uh, and by 2008, I was starting you know medical education companies and traveling the country, and mostly I traveled in North America because that's. That's the place you want to have influence, obviously. But I also traveled internationally to South America and Middle East and 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 all throughout Central America and, and gave talks and lectures and and uh, and had doctors come study with me in the hospital, which was for a guy who never went to medical school. That was that was mind blowing, 
right? That I had doctors come pay me to learn what I knew, right? And then sort of I was I had apprentices of my own, just like my teacher. Well, um, you know, it's like you you uh, carved your own path in life, didn't you? In, in terms of the healing arts, I was a little bit lucky. <laughs> program. You know, I I just have to comment, uh, Christian. Um, uh, I've been fascinated by traditional Chinese medicine myself, and I did a program at one point. It was a barefoot doctor's program here in Australia, and I've been working with a master Chinese herbalist for 40 years personally, and that's my first go-to when I work with patients. I have them... uh, send me a photo of their tongue because, as, as you know, people listening may not know, but your tongue is a total expression and reflection of the organs that are stressed and in what way. Like you were saying, that pattern discrimination right. is so profound. I, I just love your talking about that because I I, I, I get so frustrated when, you know, and in dealing with so many women's health problems, they go, oh, I have one of these hormonal imbalances. You know, I just need to go on progesterone. I need to go on hormone replacement. And I go, no. Do you really? Yeah, right. What's going on that's generating these symptoms? And we need to make the changes. And, you know, with my herbalist providing the customized formulas, and then I, you know, my my support with nutrition or send them off to get acupuncture. Um, we can deal with the individual, and that, to me, is so profound. We have to understand the individual, and as you were saying so clearly, you can have a diagnosis of IBS, and you can have 10 different patterns that have created it. And unless you address the specific organs and patterns of imbalance, you're not really going to resolve the manifestation of that imbalance, even though it's... It has a similar look right. <laughs> to many right. other patterns. No, the gulf, right? the gulf, the gulf in understanding this is so enormous. But you know, for for all the listeners, it's like it's it it actually is. You know, to use a financial term, right? It's an arbitrage of knowledge from one culture to another. In other words, pattern discrimination works. Anywhere on Earth, right? It, it, it would work for somebody living in Antarctica just as well as it would work for somebody in China, just as well as it would work for somebody in North America, and what and where have you? Um, the the thing about pattern discrimination that is so profoundly valuable is, as you said, um, it is tailored. It is treatment tailored to a specific patient's specific patterns of sim- signs and symptoms. Um, at a specific moment in time, and when those signs and symptoms change, you change the approach to to treatment. And we don't have anything like that. We don't have any, there's nothing in the modern medical canon that even approaches that level of individual specificity of of care. Um, We don't have anything like it, right? Uh, If you take 100,000 patients with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, uh, they all get metformin, right? They all get the same medication. And in Chinese, the phrase, and when you learn something like Chinese medicine, you learn a lot of very short aphorisms, and they call statements of fact, right? It's in Chinese itself. It's ibn tongjer, tongbin ijer, same disease, different treatment, different diseases, same treatment. And so, meaning that, right, mm-hmm. that someone with IBS and 
like uh, Shergan syndrome or say, uh, I don't know, IBS or say, um, an, you know, pick your autoimmune disease. Somebody has IBS and another person has a, you know, a autoimmune rheumatoid arthritis and they could get the same treatment. Why? Because they have the identical patterns, even though those diseases are different. So when, when I say the gulf in understanding was enormous, it's enormous. It's enormous. And, and when you're dealing with doctors, and my, my only goal in all of this was, okay, well, I'm young, I'm naive, I got a ton of energy. Let's see how far we can take this. It'll be fun to see, even if I go down in flames, it doesn't matter because I'll still be able to reach some small segment of the, the doctor population. And what I learned also along the way, Cheryl, was doctors actually have very – Doctors have very, very limited say. They have a very limited, very defined, and, and actually a quite narrow role in the medical system. I think most people don't realize that, um, you know, the medical system is run by non-medical administrators, right, primarily. I mean, that was my experience. It's run by decision makers who may have a background in medicine but probably don't, right? They actually have a background in like an MBA, um, those are the people who are making the decisions because, of course, they're staring at spreadsheets about, you know, what insurance is going to cover and how much money we're going to make off of this and all the rest. And so the modern medical system is and, – and whether that constitutes corruption or not, I think to the patient, you have to look at that and say, but wait a second, you know, like where's, where's my interest in all of this? And the patient's interests are – Let's say in the best scenario, they're at least third, right? But probably they're somewhere way, way, way down the list. And, and so most people do not realize that the role that doctors play is very, very limited. Doctors are required. And, and I think the COVID years brought, brought this to light in, in, a really, in a really kind of horrifying way that, you know, doctors' jobs these days, it, it really it has to do with towing the line. And thou shalt not speak out against the AMA, and then you better you better do what you're told by the by your political handlers. Um, that was all coming long before 2020. That was all coming. I mean, my experience in the mainstream medical system, which was the experience of somebody who had very very fresh eyes. I, I did not go through medical school. I did not, uh, you know, I was not in a sense indoctrinated by by whatever kind of training doctors get in medical school. And I was aware also that I was definitely a, a guest on their turf, but um, we opened a clinic in Mercy Hospital in Chicago in uh, 2012, in January of 2012. Um, this was a prodigious time for me personally. I was, I, I was sort of living out of a suitcase and uh, ended up teaching. Uh, I ended up getting hired by Cleveland Clinic to come in and teach what we were doing in, in Mercy Hospital as well. And I taught it to Cleveland Clinic, and lo and behold, several months after I was there, they took that model to, to their credit and ran with it, um, which I believe still exists to this day. And so this was, this was big, right? It, it looked like things were going my way. It looked like the wind was sort of at my back and that, hey, look at this. You know, I'm going to have a big impact in the medical system. And, and all of that moved toward uh, really what was the culminating meeting at Mercy. We, we, I did all kinds of what are called grand rounds. Um, teaching doctors, talking, giving educational talks. We had doctors come up to the clinic in, Cleveland, in, uh, in Chicago and, and sort of learn what we were doing. Uh, Mercy is a big residency program uh, there in Chicago. So a lot of young doctors just starting out are going through residency there. And they're all fascinated. Young, young doctors are all fascinated by what it was I had to teach. And my whole angle, again, was back to my, my own mentor, was, look, modern medicine is, is woefully short on, on ways to help patients heal on their own. 
Um, we had an acupuncture clinic there because acupuncture is sort of the self-healing therapy par excellence in all of medicine. There's probably nothing that really helps patients heal their own conditions better than acupuncture because, in effect, and for your listeners, if you're not familiar with acupuncture, you don't know sort of how it works and is it legit and sort of, you know, is, is it for real? Um, if you think of it this way, right, if I stick a needle in your body, I'm causing a very minute injury. And acupuncture needles, about eight of them roughly would fit inside a hypodermic needle. So acupuncture needles are not like needles as we as Westerners think of needles when you're getting injections and all the rest. God save us from injections these days. Um, but but that right acupuncture needles are sufficient to trigger a response in the body and this response has a very very disproportionate kind of self-healing effect on the body and so the study of acupuncture is right how do you in effect right injure the body at very strategic points and cause a cascade of self-healing reactions and the primary systemic reaction is uh, i'm getting technical here so forgive me if if, if you're not familiar with this, but if you are, right, even if you're not, right, you've, you've probably heard of the fight-or-flight mechanism. Um, the fight-or-flight mechanism is the stress response, right? When your body is in fight-or-flight, your heart rate tends to elevate. It constricts blood vessels. Your body is made to constrict the blood flow, uh, which helps speed up the movement. I mean, if you think of it, if you decrease the size of the pipes, right, then the water moves faster. And so blood is moving faster. Your heart is beating faster. Um, blood is shut off to your digestive organs, right, and reproductive system because you don't need those while you're fighting or running for your life. And so acupuncture has the systemic effect. I mean, everybody knows acupuncture has some kind of localized effects, but acupuncture has very good systemic effects that aren't understood very well, even by people who practice acupuncture. And you can trigger a, a down regulation of the sympathetic nervous system, meaning, right, that's a technical way of saying you turn off the fight or flight mechanism and you help people rest and digest better. And just having that effect over and over on people who are very seriously ill. Um, I remember one, one woman, I can't think of her name right now. Maybe it will come to me. She shot a nice video for us. Um, she, she had throat cancer. They were put, putting her through uh, dreadful radiation therapy. And uh, if you've ever seen what happens to people, right, going through through that level of radiation therapy, Goodness, I mean, it was very touching. I mean, she was in tears, and, and the whole thing, it was she was able to swallow again. It was a major, major thing for her to be able to just increase quality of life um, just by getting something as dirt simple as acupuncture, which costs about 10 cents for a package of needles, right? And that, that, that here we are, right, right on the front lines of medicine in a major hospital, um, lecturing at places like Cleveland Clinic, and it really does look like we're going to absolutely – franchise this right within uh, like a hospital group like Mercy Hospital at 260 hospitals at the time that we were there and uh, and all of that really built to a head in 2013 um, when we met with the what was that the CFO whose name I can't recall either and it doesn't matter um, and uh, and and we told them hey you, you you could have this kind of effect in all of your various hospitals all throughout the Midwest and wouldn't you be the cool kid on the block because obviously you're, you'd be the first hospital group and there's roughly 6,000 hospitals in North America. So you, you look at that size of a market and you say, what if you had hospital quality kind of just simple acupuncture helping people heal on their own? And we had kind of proven that the model worked. I mean, we had a prototype. The CEO came down and shot a nice testimonial and, hey, we don't really know what you're doing, but 
please keep doing it because everybody's super thrilled about it. And of course, the CFO is not a medical guy. He's a, he's an attorney. He's a, he's a lawyer who works for the hospital group. And, uh, he smiled and he was very polite. And then we never heard anything from him. And, and that was kind of the moment when I realized this is not going to work within the medical system. I cannot have the impact that I want to have by, by trying to, to change a system that is so self-interested in its own profit margins and all the rest. And I mean, there's a place for that. I know those people check on profit because that's what they do and that they think they're doing the best job that they can and God bless them. But this piece about helping people to heal on their own is, is so completely absent from the modern medical system even today, right? And, and, and I'm aware that, you know, hospitals have things like acupuncture, but trust me when I tell you, like the level at which this care is being provided is in most cases very, very, it leaves a lot to be desired. And, and there's so much that could be done to help people heal on their own, even even up to and including teaching people just the bare bones of pattern, uh, understanding their, their condition according to patterns. I've done this now for several years, teaching people uh, how to, to heal their conditions. Uh, digestive illness is my specialty. Um, ancient medicine is magnificent. Pattern discrimination is absolutely uh, the way to go if you have a digestive condition. And so I specialized in that in my time in medicine. And, uh, and, and, and regular people can learn how to recognize sort of what, what essentially the essence is. You know, your symptoms are signals and your body is telling you something. And if you understand what these signals mean, you can eat according to your patterns and eat your way back to health. It's a, it's a very different take on illness than, than the fad diet kind of thing is. But, you know, point being the self-healing thing is so underrepresented in our medical system and that all of the, the artillery of, of the profit-making machine that is our modern medical system is aimed at, just, you know, making sure that nobody is allowed to heal on, on their own, that, uh, that on the one hand, there's still a huge opportunity there. And on the other hand, obviously, for, for people who are dealing with chronic conditions, it's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely essential, right, that this message somehow gets out that it's like, most of your healing when it comes to chronic conditions, most of your healing either will or will not happen on your own. And the fact that, that, that regular people can learn how to heal chronic conditions on their own, to me, it's a form of, you know, you look at something like uh, acid reflux and the prescribing of acid blockers. To me, this borders on medical malpractice at this point. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a bold statement, but it's also true that if you talk to doctors, Every doctor prescribing, uh, whether it's, you know, Meprazole or whatever the, the, the acid blocker du jour is, will all tell you that these things are supposed to be taken temporarily. And then you talk to patients like I do who have been taking acid blockers for, you know, 25 years and et cetera, et cetera, and have, you know, all, all the side effects that go with that. Um, so, so to me, it is a form of medical malpractice that these other solutions exist and you're not allowed to integrate them right into the mainstream medical system you're not even allowed in most cases to let people know because god forbid you came up with anything that helped people reduce uh, incidence and prevalence of cancer well you know cancer is a big money maker uh, you bet you better not you better not take on the people who are making all the money with with cancer because they'll they'll definitely come after you as you know cheryl so um so so that was my time in mainstream medicine by 2013 i really had had enough uh, I continued working with several doctors, good good folks, um, to try to reach and, and teach other doctors. Um, but at a certain point, I kind of did fold my hand and, and walk away. 
in favor of simply teaching people uh, online, which is what I do now. And so it looks like we have uh, just a few minutes here. I didn't want to run on too long, but, <laughs> but that was my adventure. But, uh, yeah, and, well, I mean, I'm still on it. I'm still working with patients. I still take uh, individual patients from time to time. But mostly I'm using the Internet to teach people uh, about patterns and pattern discrimination. And, hey, here's how you can heal your chronic condition on your own. And I, I continue to put out more, more material on, on, on that exact topic. Well, I, I I love that you're doing that. Uh, obviously, we have um, you know we're aligned in our models of healing because I totally understand why you're so passionate about this because it's addressing at the root cause level when you can understand what patterns, what organ systems are being compromised because of your thinking patterns, because of the wrong foods you're eating, uh, from stress, from deficiencies. When you have that knowledge, it's like putting the pieces of the puzzle together to create the true resolution of the problem. And, That's right. Um, and, and see, you know, you can never do that with a medication. That's the, the flaw the flawed of, of the medical model is that you cannot – bring about uh, true optimization and harmonization of yep. all the systems right. and all the energies in the body through a medication. In fact, you may get some symptom relief, but it is creating yep. greater patterns of disharmony That's right. long-term, right? So That's right. That's right. you're getting more and more out of balance. And, you know, so, so hopefully, you know, in this conversation, which, you know, is so inspiring what you are doing, um, and if people are listening, it, you know, kind of opens up minds, right? And that's the whole purpose of this program, this podcast, conversations with you, is to realize that we need to return to a holistic understanding of our connection, of all the systems of our body, what they're telling us, how to harmonize right. with nature, with the, with the foods that are impacting. And... Um, yeah, that's what got me into into acupuncture in the very beginning and herbal and, and Chinese herbal medicine, which mm-hmm. uh, because I work with a master herbalist, it's customized, and I'm sure you love that. Christian, that's right. right. It's customized. That's right. So you can't you can't just take one tagamet telling <laughs> that and help everybody. Yeah. And aside from a side effect, because the causes are different. So if you can customize. That's right a formula that is unique to that person, you're doing true medicine. Yep. You're doing true yeah, medicine, no, and, and right? I just want to highlight, yeah, it's, 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 it's worth repeating. The, 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 the problem in the modern medical system is a philosoph- there's a philosophical shortcoming, right? It, it's, a, uh, it's like on the one hand, the modern medical system, thank God that it exists, thank God that we have it, but it's so top-heavy toward the emergency kind of care that when you have a chronic illness, what you get is things that interrupt your body's normal process. And so you, so, so, I mean, again, the easy example is acid reflux. Like, should you really be blocking your stomach acid? Probably not, right? It's there for a reason, right? You need it if you're going to digest well. But when you go back over and over again, all you get is another pharmacological intervention that interrupts the normal process preventing your body from ever healing and actually getting back on track. And so it's, it's, 
it, it's important for listeners to understand um, everybody needs medical care at some point, right? And nobody goes through life without needing a doctor. Like we need doctors, we need medical professionals. But if there's a high note to lead people on with this uh, podcast, it's also valuable to realize like all of this information is now available. You can go find out about things like, hey, how would I heal my, you know, XYZ condition on my own? Um, and you you really can apply yourself. I mean, I spent a lot of time and effort trying to make the, – the, the good news is, like, if you spend an hour learning about pattern discrimination, the basic patterns that constitute con, uh, any chronic illness, like name a chronic illness, and I'll show you which patterns are over and over again. It's about the same eight to ten patterns that, 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 that appear in about 95, 96 percent of all chronic conditions. The solutions to those patterns are the easy part. That's actually the good news here is like if you have a chronic condition, it probably fits into some of, right, most of your condition is going to be described by these 10 common patterns. And by God, right, we know solutions to these 10 patterns. It's not hard to figure out. But, but of course, your doctor's not going to tell you about this. Um, good luck finding people who can help you understand your patterns of symptoms because there's just not that many holistic practitioners who do that kind of work. And then, right, if you learned it on your own, you would see that, like, simple, simple dietary, targeted exercise, simple remedies and treatments that most people can get most of the places in the world where you're going to be listening to a podcast like this, um, and, and, and really – um, a non-New Age way of understanding how your mind is either helping you or harming you, right, to really understand how your thought process – I mean, there is such a thing as people who um, are very, very into being ill, right? And it's like if you go through that phase and you're, part, you know, you're partly stuck in being ill because your mind is also, right, uh, focused on illness, um, it's important to recognize that and, and how to get out of that. I found answers to all of those those kind of riddles within the ancient uh, Asian medical system, not just Asian, right, but ancient medical systems in general. And this comparative study that I was able to do uh, really opened my eyes to what was missing from, from modern medicine. And so that is sort of writ large my entire message to, to your audience is uh, you can solve most of what's going on if you have a chronic condition. So, so Christian, um, your website is Pivot protocol yes for for digestive problems i have a, 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 a some information that people might be interested in it's called pivot p-i-v-o-t protocol.com and uh and we have uh, more information i mean we'll we'll bombard you with cool stuff about how to uh, heal chronic conditions so if you go to pivotprotocol.com or just go to christiannicks.com uh, you can sort of get on my list and, and sort of hear from me uh, in, in whatever capacity makes sense to, to you and your interest in ancient healing practices. But, uh, but yeah, that's the best way probably to reach me. So, and, and what you're offering uh, through your website are uh, programs and um, uh, programs to understand what we've been talking about, these patterns of imbalance, how, that's exactly you know, right. and, and, and just to clarify, it's like there could be too much energy in a system. There could be too little energy in a system. Um, the system can be blocked, you know. <laughs> you can have yeah, too much basic, producing. Yeah, yeah, that's it, correct. Right? Basic so, imbalance. So, you can have an excess of some kind or, you can have, you know, or the organ can be uh, particularly exhausted, right, as aging is a, a process of becoming further and further exhausted and depleted. So, yes, I mean – 
the, the two basic categories of illness are excess, shefa, and uh, uh, emptiness, bufa, right? And so you can have either of those, but you're going to have, in chronic illness, you're going to have a combination of both. And this is partly what makes yeah. chronic illness chronic. And so, yes, uh, and, and you mentioned I have a new program coming out. I'm going to teach people how to, how to become healers. I'm going to take the best of what I, I learned from my mentor. I've put it all together in a program uh, I call Barefoot Medicine Training, um, borrowing on this concept of, of a barefoot doctor that used to go village to village and provide very simple healing kind of practices to people. This was kind of the model that I learned from my mentor and, uh, and that I've been fortunate and very, very lucky. I, I'm aware that I'm very, very fortunate in my life to have stumbled upon all of this and I had a chance to do this. It's been just a wild adventure for, for 20 plus years. Um, but something that I was really, really into and, and, and also like really grabbed. I mean, I really grabbed it by the tail when it came. So I put this together. And if you want to learn healing skills and sort of learn about ancient healing, um, go to Pivot Protocol. Uh, you know, send me a note right through that uh, website or something. And when the program is ready, we'll, we'll make sure that you know about it as well. Well, I love that. It's so fascinating. I'm going to go check it out myself because it's, you know, this, this model, this understanding of um, creating harmony and balance back in the physical and the emotional and the mental it just makes the most the profound sense to me. And that's always yep. attracted me and what I have done and what I have learned, you know, studying many modalities like you, including psychotherapy, including you know, yep. naturopathy. Yep. And yep. I, I think, that, you know, you're, you're just offering a, a profound opportunity for people to take greater responsibility for their health, for their healing, to gain more knowledge, and, and really claim their power. It's really yep. claiming I our power. If people are ready for it, Cheryl. This is the other thing. It's the, you go to the doctor and they're like, no, no, you know, you need surgery. You need, you know, take this and get chemo and this. And it's like, but people are ready for this message and they're being told, no, no, you can't do that. And so, um, obviously we're living through wild times. I mean, really crazy things are going to happen in the 2020s. It's, it's already begun. Obviously, if you look around you, the world is unrecognizable from, you know, late 2019. Um, and so, and I, I think that can be a really good thing, right? But it's going to require, as you said, fundamentally, right, a big, big part of healing chronic illness is you have to take massive responsibility for your health. And people who don't want to do that, right, maybe you're better off going to a doctor, but you're going to get the results that come from going to a doctor. And so that's, that's worth pondering because, quite honestly, you're talking about a couple hours of really concentrated learning, um, and you can learn how to identify really common patterns and, and, and what to do about them becomes the easy part. I know people don't believe me when they hear that up front because it's like, wait a second, how could I possibly learn an ancient medical approach that helps me heal something that modern medicine can't heal? I don't believe you. And it's like, no, really. Um, if you see also at pivotprotocol.com, you'll see a lot of comments from people who have been through all kinds of digestive health. I got very sick in the tropics too, which is partly, you know, I had a big motivation to study hard when I was learning with Jaime because, by God, if you get sick in the tropics, it's a, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, but, but you really can learn to heal yourself, and you really don't need doctors and pills and all the rest, but you do need responsibility. You do need the, the, the guts and the sort of backbone to go do it yourself. But, but I agree with you. It's um, like we're so lucky to come across this stuff and to know something about it 
and obviously sharing it with other people became, you know, that was a big, big part of my life, obviously. Well, so this is, well, this is, gonna, yeah, this is, you know, well, first of all, thank you for that passion you have. Thank you. And, and, yeah, thank and this you. work that you do and caring for people and empowering people through education. So, you know, we get it. I, everyone listening, see it. I'm sure that your passion and energy comes through loud and clear. And for putting these programs together so people can begin that journey of self-responsibility and self-healing and ultimate health sovereignty, as I like to call it. The journey of, so, a, uh, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one first step, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so people can go again to your website, Pivot protocol.com learn more about what christian has put together and christian it's just been a real pleasure to have you on the show and it's been um, delightful you know, thank you very yeah, much for putting this gracias, together gracias. <laughs> and, gracias um, yeah enjoy your your magical lake and um, all the best to you so thank you I so am. much god bless you thank you very much shell yep all the best to you and your uh, audience as well Yes, thank you, Kristen. And to all of you listening, thank you again for joining me on The Love Code, where we get such inspiration and upliftment and transformation. So until next time, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.